0: CloudCast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the CloudCast with Aaron Dell and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome back to the CloudCast. We're coming to you live from the massive CloudCast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Just me today, Aaron's uh, got some other commitments, but you know we've been talking a lot about uh, the change that's happening with all these technologies. We've been talking about containers and cloud and open source and a lot of stuff lately. And one of the things we don't talk enough about is sort of how some of this change happens. And so uh, pretty excited today to have a company that Aaron and I have been following um, sort of uh, behind the scenes and stalking a little bit, but but excited to have TJ Randall with us, uh, VP of Systems Engineering from Xabia Labs. Uh, TJ, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. Glad to be here today.
0: So, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show, but uh, I got to know you guys through my day job. Um, our two companies who were working on a, a deal for a fairly large uh, international company will sort of leave them nameless. But, you know, they were, you know, what I call a large enterprise company. Uh, they they were in an industry that I think is more and more starting to realize that, you know, what they used to think their core competency was um, is, is less critical to their customers and, and the technology face of that business is more critical. And so it was really interesting to me. What what we'll get into what you guys do, but, um, it was very cool to watch, uh, we got, you know, our companies kind of got introduced to this, but it was cool to watch this transformation of this large company go, we need to, to do stuff new and modern. And, and that's the only way we're going to kind of survive. And, and for a company of their size, it was like, wow, that's, you know, it's, it's exciting as a, somebody who's trying to help make them change, but it's also uh, scary for them. So give us a little bit of background of, about Xebia Labs. You guys are, are in the sort of modern development, continuous integration uh, space. But, but tell us about the company and um, what you guys do and, and specifically sort of talk a little bit about kind of all the aspects of what you do, because that's the part that really you know drew me to, to Xebia initially.
1: Okay. Well, um you know, Xebia Labs. It's a uh, it's a pretty cool company to be at. Um, it's it's a company with a lot of really smart people that are incredibly enthusiastic, um, and and really and really and it sounds kind of cliche, but it, they're, it's incredible how committed folks are to the customers. In the sense that you know, customers turn to us because they're looking for that real world solution. They're like, we're trying to figure these things out. You know, everybody wants to quote do DevOps. And, uh, we have that experience, you know, we not only have the technology background, but we have the consultative background as well to, to be able to say to them, Hey, you know what? We worked with other customers in your position and these are the things that they've done in order to, you know, achieve success. So we like to say, you know, we're a company, we work hard, we play hard and we love good food and drink. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, from the tooling perspective, when you're talking technology, you know, this our first product, Excel Deploy, was built based on a consultative relationship with KLM Airlines, and um, you know, so the product side of the company grew from a real-world example of a customer trying to solve the challenges of really intricate continuous delivery. Um, so from there, it's grown, and that's always been our model about you know developing products. So we you know we not only look at you know, just the intricacies of trying to do things like deployments and or and releases and things like that. But it's also about, like, how do companies use those tools? Because, of course, when you're talking about really large companies, it's not, you can't just buy a tool and, you know, things start to happen. Right. It's all the groups. And, you know, again, it's DevOps. <clears throat> DevOps is always about people and process, right? right. The tools should enable that. And then, you know, so I, I really feel like we do a, a really good job and we work really hard on that is to say to customers, okay, yes, we have tooling that is going to help you, but here's how that tooling can be implemented, you know, within your organization. And I feel like that's really the consultative side is we have a lot of really good success stories that we can help share with customers to say, okay, you know, you're trying to figure out how am I going to bring together, you know, all my dev teams are doing agile and QA is drowning, you know, trying to handle all of the releases how how can we start to model a better release process right so right. A, a lot of times we come to the table with not just a solution but also you know trying to help them understand you know how they can change as well so right
0: yeah and that's that's what was interesting when i was getting to know what you guys did was you know like i said we were we were kind of working through with this customer how to do things and and when I first got introduced to, to ZB Labs, it was people showing the the XL product and you know how it integrated uh, with you know various infrastructures of service and various um, uh, ticketing systems and so forth. And it was like, okay, cool. Like here's this piece of technology that's going to sit in the middle of these workflows. It's going to kind of go from uh, you know developing code to pushing code through to to test to production. And that was kind of cool. Um, but then what happened was the the next part of the conversation was like you said, all these people in the room going, all right, that's that's neat and that's cool, and we just saw something happen in one minute or five minutes or whatever, but how do I make that work for me, for, for my job, right. or what does my day look like? And then what happened was you guys sort of flipped the bit, if you will, and said, "You know, hey, let me walk you through how that uh, how that transformation happens. Let me give you some sort of ways to think about organizing. Let me give you some milestones to think about. And it was kind of the first time I'd ever seen – um, I mean, I've seen consulting companies talk about stuff, but they tend to go, well, then you'll roll out Jenkins or then you'll roll out, you know, Puppet or whatever.
1: Yeah, and
0: yeah. and you guys were really kind of going, yeah, we have that expertise, we have that experience, but we built the software based on kind of real examples, not here's it, you're going to have to customize. And that, that was really, really cool to me um, that mm-hmm. you kind of have this continuous feedback loop of things you do with customers, it goes into the products, the products, you know, work into new use cases, and then you're sort of helping people with that. Is that, mm-hmm. do, do you find that's where, what, what, do you, what do you sort of see as the common starting point when people engage you guys? What's the, the sort of the, the thing they're looking for? Or what, what do they think they're looking for when they first engage you? I mean, is it, we think we've got to do DevOps or is it applications don't go fast enough? What, what do you see as the common couple of engagement points?
1: It's interesting, you know, there's, it seems like there's three kind of starting themes for us when we, when we first work with a customer, um, you ca- you have the, the, and I'll kind of loosely call them, you know, the development side, the operation side and like a, um like a release management or a DevOps team. That's the new one, you know, the new buzzword, the DevOps team. But if we get brought in by the development team, a lot of times it is exactly what you said. They want to deliver their applications faster. You know, these guys are getting hammered by the business. Like, why can't you get these changes to production faster? And an interesting thing with them is they usually have all of the tools that they need. You know, they already have, like, a Jenkins CI server. They've got a JIRA ticketing system. So they have all these different tools, but they can't figure out how to, you know, tie them all together for delivery. And it's not just delivery to dev, of course, it's automating that through production. So that's, you know, that's one starting point. If we get brought in by the operation side of the house, a lot of time. and again, I'm generalizing, but they want, you know, that consistency, that security model, the reporting, you know, all of the regulatory kind of things that a customer has to do in order to run applications in production. Right. So, you know, they're almost like saying to the dev guys, like, yeah, that's cool you can deploy 400 times a day, but I need X, Y, and Z, you know, I need visibility into the data. Um, and then the third group, which is actually, this is becoming more and more common is, you know, customers are forming teams. They're saying, okay, we have a new release team or DevOps team and they have authority to make changes, uh, to the delivery pipeline. You know, the, the, The delivery process themselves right so these these guys aren't necessarily responsible for committing code or you know testing the code or anything they're actually the people on top of the different groups Um, but what's really funny about that that theme on all three of them is they all want the same thing right they all want to deliver to production faster that's why we tend to fit very nicely is when we first engage a customer no matter who brings us in the first question we ask is, what are all the things that you need to do to run that application in an environment? And it's really funny because, you know, like a developer will say, oh, just, I just, you know, deploy the war file and then, you know, I restart the server. And right. then you say, okay, and what else? Oh, but then I have to update the JIRA ticket. Okay, and what else? Oh, and then I got to send an email, you know, and then the list keeps going on and on and on, which is cool. That's how we model a deployment, for example but what comes out of that is the gold is then all of a sudden you realize all the groups that are involved in that delivery then the conversation gets interesting because yep. then we say okay cool so now qa needs to know xyz happened all right now we know how to model that that's yep. really if we if we can get to that point that theme of who's involved along the delivery that's our success really you know that gets things happening yep
0: and so this is a sort of a question that doesn't have a specific answer, but you know one of the things that we see in technology is, um, you know, on, on one hand, uh, people that sell technology tend to sort of go, all the problems are the same. My technology will solve lots of problems. If you sit on the other side of the table as a as a customer, you tend to go, my problems are really unique. As you guys look across this, especially for those teams that are that are trying to to get to you know faster application deployment, how, how much? consistency do you see between where they have to get to maybe maybe not where they are because people can be in all kinds of places but i mean is it is it sort of an 80 20 rule like does 80 percent of what you guys recommend to them tend to fit most cases or is it still really you know lots and lots of variety and so forth
1: um it i would say well, of course, it is kind of fun. so. I've been on the other side of the table. You know, I've sat sure. there and had vendors come in and say, you know, our our software will help you know help you stop smoking and all these fun <laughs> things, right? right? Yeah, it does. Just as that. It cures acne. It's great. Um, and of course, when you're sitting on my side of the table talking with customers, you can tell them that you say, oh, I was just at a customer last week, and they're doing the same thing. They have the same problem. That uh, no, who's going to believe that? They're going to say, well, okay, that sounds salesy, and yeah. that's not how we want to come off. So what we really try to, when we answer that question, if somebody asks us, like, have you seen this before? We try to answer that with, like, a a tangible example of what we're talking about. Gotcha. So, like, for example, I was at a customer just last week. They have this very complex PHP application. So the way they deploy it is indeed complex, but it's just how, you know, the development team wrote it and Mm -hmm. what their infrastructure looks like. At the end of the day, you're just really moving files around the file system. Which is cool um, that's complex for them, and they can't quite get their their heads around how that happens, so of course, myself, I look at it and I say, yeah, you can use our plug content here, let me show you how if I did that, you know in like three minutes, it would look magical. What's more important for me is to be able to say, let's look at your application, do you still want to continue to deploy it that way, for example, or is part of this answer that you're looking for? we changed the process a little bit, right so the dev team changes. Ten percent of what they do on their side and we can optimize the other ninety yeah. percent yeah again it's it's almost like drawing out that conversation is the more important thing than just saying, oh yeah I can solve your problem
0: right right yeah and and that that's always interesting to me because you know we we, we, we can all kind of go, hey, if I bought the, the the newer thing that you know like let, let's say it's a, a piece mm-hmm. of hardware for example, you can go well the specs on this one are You know 65 percent faster in that one it's sort of easy to measure okay it's going to get better or faster when you're talking about change that tends to be like you said people and process oriented you know there's there's sort of nuances in there in that sometimes you want to make it really easy you know like hey i'm gonna like you said i'm gonna help you lose weight you know it'd be great (laughs) but other times you you want them to go oh okay I, i see where that is because when you leave, you want them to continue to realize and sort of buy into why you've got to change that. And I think that's that's, that's the interesting yeah. thing about you know kind of this this DevOps space, if you will.
1: Um, you yeah. know, one of my favorite DevOps stories of all time. We were at a customer, and we did like this half-day workshop where we set up the tool in their environment. We did one of their applications, and it was pretty cool. We actually got it running before lunchtime, the whole nine yards. So it was like it was pretty fun. They were yeah. like, "Wow, this is cool." And a gentleman at the table turned to his... There's like 12 people from that organization in the room. And the gentleman next to me turned to his manager and said, what are we going to do if we buy this tool? And the manager didn't hesitate. He said, the job I hired you to do. And that's really what we find is that automation isn't replacing jobs. It's actually getting people out of like the the monotony of all the manual stuff they have to do just to keep the lights on. Right. right. Um, And when you – again, when those lights go on for customers, they realize, oh, this is cool. You're helping me solve these problems so I can do the stuff that I want to do. Right. You know? Right.
0: Techies tend to want to talk about tools and stuff. And, um, you know, like you said, you'll hear people talk about CI systems, Jenkins or Travis, or they're using a deployment tool like Puppet or a bunch of scripts. Mm -hmm. or Like, what do you typically see – when When you go in there and you go okay maybe you're you're trying to use some of those but but there 's always gaps like wh- where do you guys feel like you you fill in the, you know the the excel products like where do you feel like you fill in gaps or where do you feel like you know we, we do some things that are pretty unique so you don 't have to think about three pieces you can think about one
1: right well um, well, two is like you know like puppet chef jenkins they 're phenomenal tools, and we actually I, I would say you know we we work with those tools on an awful lot of you know POCs and customer engagements, so they fill very specific needs for an organization and they do it really well. Um, the thing honestly that I see with the, the, those types of tools is they really are challenged at delivering applications from de, you know development to prod, so all the way through the delivery pipeline at scale. So you know. Generally, what we do is when we come in and a customer says, well, we've been trying to do this and we use Jenkins, but it's really hard to orchestrate, you know, 26 releases across dev to prod, you know, because you have different versions of the applications at different states at different times. Um, and it's really hard to do that at scale, right? You yep. know, developers are churning out more versions. So when you have customers with more complex app delivery paths, or they have multiple application stacks, so they're running Windows, apps, Java, you know, Ruby, et cetera. They want tooling that says, well, it's it's a similar tooling interface to deliver all of those applications. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's not like you have to run Puppet to do your Java, you run Chef to do your Windows deployments, et cetera. So gotcha. it's always, for us, it's always about scale. Okay. Um, we can deliver applications that, no matter what the complexity looks like.
0: Yeah, and it, that that that's always one of the big things that comes up anytime you're dealing with, you know, larger customers or enterprises or or anybody that's sort of not starting from greenfield, if you will. It's uh, how do I how do I get from A to B? Uh, we're not a sort of, you know, homogeneous shop, we've got a lot of different things and, mm-hmm. and then yeah, it's, it's, it's either doing it at scale or just managing sort of all this complexity because, you know, the releases come out at different times, the releases are different sizes, some have dependencies, some don't, and so forth.
1: Sure. And you also have the problem too is as that it, the internal infrastructure is being upgraded. So you know you say, you have all your application deployments to deal with, and then the fact that you you know you're upgrading WebLogic this month as well. Yep. You know that's like a month and a half process to do that in all your environments. Well, you can't stop deploying the application just because the upgrade's happening for WebLogic. Gotcha. Uh, and that's that plug-in content that we tend to talk with customers about. Our plugins deal with the fact that the target infrastructure is changing we deal with that part of it you know you don't have to define that
0: right right yeah and if you if you look at your web page you guys have got just a ton of different you know plugins mm-hmm. that you that you get into whether it's like you said some of the common tools or or the most common frameworks and so forth yep yeah. yeah. so you mentioned earlier um you know like you you were in a customer meeting somebody had sort of that light bulb moment from a demonstration and and then someone kind of went okay we're not going to have to do something anymore, right? Repetitive stuff anymore, whatever. Right. How do you how do you find companies as they're they're moving to these new environments where, you know, you don't you've got sort of shared resources because you're you're doing things faster. You're you're not doing certain things anymore. Like, how do they think about the economics that go with this? Right. It's always cool to see the bits fly along and a, and a web page get updated or something. But how are you hearing them think about their new
1: internal economics? Uh, one of the things actually, it's interesting you ask that it, um, what, I, what I've been seeing a little bit more of lately, and it's something that I'm, I'm kind of curious about, and I haven't quite put my finger on it, is, you know, you have all these, custom, you know, these development teams, for example, they want to shift to Agile. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have a classic organization, and they build projects a certain way. You know, they say, it's a waterfall project, and we'll give you funding once you have all the requirements signed off by the business. Right. And, of course, the dev team is moving to Agile, and all of a sudden you say, I want to sit down two developers, a QA guy and a business analyst, together... For a two-week sprint, and all of a sudden you don't have a fully baked project plan, you know, set of requirements. Right. I think, in a way, those are some of the financial challenges that some of these larger organizations are dealing with, because they already have accounting models that deal with chargebacks and, you know, all those fun things that happen on the financial side of a company. So Agile is phenomenal in its, del- its rate of delivery, but it is a challenge to kind of the existing financial structure of an organization right so in in a way it's kind of funny don't you think we never include dev in the, the finance people to the devops meeting you know we, we we get better at including like operations and the dbas and the qa folks you know we try to get everybody together for hug ops but uh i always wonder do we ever bring in like the accounting team to say hey guys guess what we're changing our application delivery and you need to be aware of it as well but yeah. it would seem like a logical conversation for our company to have
0: yeah i mean it, it it feels like something, again, it's one of those, um, I don't know that people leave them out on purpose. I think it's one of those, like, we, you know, we start to get enamored with how much better it looks. And it's just the same sort of problem that people have when they talk about, well, I like what I can do on a public cloud because it's on demand and it's scalable, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll replicate that on my private cloud. And you go, yeah, you, you might be able to do that with the technology that exists, but how are you going to get, and you know, finance to fund, uh, you know, non-project based stuff, like just a bunch right. of resources that are available when you need them. And sure. so, yeah, no, it's definitely a, uh, it's definitely an opportunity for somebody to figure out how to think about it. And, you know, and, and the tip that you're sort of throwing out there is, is at a minimum folks should start bringing their, their financial analysts or their business analysts to some of these meetings. So if nothing else, they're getting exposed to the beginnings of these changes that are happening. Right. Um, you know, right. maybe that's the simplest starting point and, and as those start to happen, we'll start to see in the community people going, "Here's a success story. Here's how we solve that problem," and and it'll sort of organically come out of things like like a lot like a lot of things that are happening now.
1: Right. I would imagine some companies can more easily do that than others. Right. Um, it always makes me think there must be like some companies that need some sort of like seed money project just to make sure that the agile teams have what they need until they start getting success. You know, they get to a certain point in a project and then they say, OK, now we know how to finance this thing. So Yeah, no, it would be,
0: be, yeah, be an interesting metric. You know, what do you what do you what do you fund to those internal teams? Is it a million dollars? Is it twenty thousand dollars? What is it? Uh, right. And it could be anywhere in between, depending on how big you are.
1: You know, the other piece of that I think is sometimes another interesting topic in a similar way is is when you're paying for tooling to do DevOps initiatives, you know, to implement them, these tools span the organization. You know, it's not, you're not just buying a compiler anymore, what you could charge back to a dev team. And I think that conversation gets to be challenging as well because now you say to the business, okay, I'm going to be able to deliver 30% faster. but if you're in a classic organization that says okay where are we going to charge that back to with project it's hard because you you know no no project team's going to say oh okay i'll take that at that cost yeah so yeah, again yeah. it forces a financial conversation which is probably a good conversation to have but it, sometimes that's hard as well
0: you know sort of in that same vein um, we were we were talking with uh, some of the folks from from Netflix and and obviously they're kind of famous for sort of culturally how they've they've transformed some stuff one of the things that they brought up was they said, you know, in reality, uh, especially for most companies like DevOps and these these transformations, in a lot of cases, feel like a reorganization, right? And you touched on it a little bit. Uh, you know, what do you find are, are sort of the key roles or the the, the most important changes that people kind of have to focus on, or or a couple of key metrics that you know, as they're making these things, they can go, okay, we've we've hit that milestone, or hmm, we're mm-hmm. not we're not getting the results, because that's sort of, you know, like, what do you find of those good benchmarks
1: or good tips for people? Uh, Well, there's a couple things. For one, I mean, we hear this over and over again. I mean, the best success, DevOps success stories are the ones where you have that evangelist or that team of evangelists in the organization that really is willing to kind of put their neck out there. You know, they they have the energy to keep evangelizing when everyone says, oh, we, you know, we do it the old fashioned way and that's the way to do it. Um, So you need that technical person or that group of technical people that want to see the whole delivery chain. You know, they want to and and, you know, they're customer focused, which sounds kind of corny, but it's true. They want to get the app out faster to production um, for the customer. So if you can get somebody with that kind of ability to be really smart technically, you know, to implement some of these changes, but also be able to see the organization, I think that's a that's obviously a key success. And then the other piece to it, it's I think A a huge metric, you know, a huge milestone is to take one or two applications and and to truly automate the delivery from dev to prod. And I've seen it actually over and over with our customers is the teams that are able to do that if they can do it with one or two applications, what you find is they th- those one or two apps are the ones that get beat up the most. You know, they hit all the different roadblocks and all the different barriers and the, you know, all the problems of, okay, now I'm gonna automate into, you know, my pre-prod environment. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Who has to be involved? But once that process has kind of occurred, you're building up almost like that internal trust that says, okay, these guys have it down we can do it all the way through production so it's not just some, you know, dev tool that nobody trusts in the organization. And so once those one or two applications start having success in production, it's just that natural, you know, every customer what what person in a company wouldn't want to move towards that model. Right. You know, if you're if you're still doing it the old-fashioned way because, you know, you're throwing people at trying to manually deploy when you see the guy sitting next to you is able to automate that through production. That's the, best, you know, that's the best sounding board of all. So my suggestion with every customer that I talk to is just that. Take one or two applications, measure how long it's taking you to deliver across your delivery pipeline you know, in all the environments, and then make sure that you can automate that through production. Yeah. Once you have that, I think it's like it's literally it's like opening the floodgates and everybody will follow.
0: Right, right. It turns on all the, the sort of aha moments for everybody. Do, do, you yeah. ever, do you find, you know, I know this is another one of those tricky questions, but like, do you find certain kind of, you know, when people when you make that recommendation or where people go like, hey, where should we start? Like, do you find certain kinds of apps tend to, to work better? Because one of the things you obviously you don't want to do is when you when you come to the table with a bunch of experience you've seen this happen before you've seen success you know you don't want their first attempt to sort of you know be a failure, but at mm-hmm. the same time you you want it to be meaningful enough like do you find any types of apps, whether it's by language and framework or you know should it be a production app should it just be like a heavily used internal app what do you what do you typically guide people with on that?
1: I think it should be an application that people would recognize as as uh, you know if it wasn't deployed correctly in production it would cause some sort of problem and okay. and I hate to say that but of course you know if you could deploy an easy app most people would be like well that was easy what took you so long Yeah, you need um, some skin in the game you do and then the other one I would look for is 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 when you're when I talk about automating application I'm not just talking about you know moving the binaries it's also all those kind of configuration changes those updating of tickets Uh, You know, so like for if you have an application that you have to update ServiceNow at the end of a deployment because ServiceNow will then notify the appropriate, you know, customer units that the new application is available. Uh, Those are the pieces of automation that I think if you can find an application, now all of a sudden across the organization, there's a lot of people that will see that change immediately. Right. They'll say, wow, that, that, you know, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, to your point, you're putting a little bit more skin in the game, a little bit more risk, but the value add is once you can do that, people are willing to take on the risk of the harder applications.
0: Yeah. And it and it sounds like kind of getting back to your point about, you know, internalizing this and, and evangelizing it. You know, it almost would make sense to go, here's the one we picked. We mapped it out. Maybe we made a big visual, We put it on the wall or something like that so people could see it. And then yep. you measure those stages and you go, we're 30% faster here and we're 20% here and we're whatever. And it's, you know, it's visual. People can take it around with them. People can, can see where their, where their world fits in with those things.
1: That's right. And then, I mean, the, the other thing that we tend to see there is, you know, like for example, if you're in a classic organization where there's an operations team and they kind of want that push button deployment, you know, in the, in the operation center, they're going to actually start to demand that as well. So we have one large customer, the operations team said, once they got that, they literally followed that similar pattern. They had two applications. They automated, it took them a while to automate it to prod, but once they did, after three months, the operations team said, you know what, no more applications are going live in production after this date if you're not on these tools. So it actually was the operations team that started to enforce that because they, even they were saying, hey, stop telling us how to deploy it. You just give us the application. Yeah. Um, so one way or the other, somebody's going to recognize the success. Usually, obviously, it's, you know, you want it across the organization, but somebody's going to say, hey, this is cool. Why are we doing it the old way? this is the, you know, this is how we should be doing it. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's powerful because it's, it's, uh, you're getting buy-in from people and you're getting people that, that are trying to drive the change themselves. And,
1: and, uh, yeah. that's, that's powerful. Well, listen, and it just doesn't, it doesn't seem magical at that point. Right. It's like, Hey, we were able to really do this. you know Yeah. Well,
0: you've, you've made it real for somebody, right. You've, you've impacted yeah. their day or their, or their, their week or something. So well, very yeah. cool. Well, listen, um, you know, one of the, one of the things we found is when we're talking about, sort of transformational stuff it's it's it, we always find it's better to get examples it's it's kind of good to hear people talk through things we didn't talk a lot about about the uh, the Zebia lab products um you know folks can can go to the website you guys have a, a great time there but if somebody wants to engage with you guys or trial it out like what's the best way to either reach out to you or can they test the products uh you know downloads and stuff
1: absolutely you go to the website exebialabs.com you can download all three tools excel deploy excel release and excel test we want you to get them running in your environment you know set the their fully functioning uh, versions so you can set those up uh, one of the fun parts of my job running the sales engineering organization is we engage with customers not just on site but also remotely so you know people get stuck they send us all you know emails and through the support forums um, it's pretty exciting. We actually have a Excel release launch is coming up this month. Cool. Excel test is and a launch is coming next month. So that's ex- that's exactly what we want to do. What you said is download it. Let's get it set up. And the best the best success story in the world is not to deploy some fake app, but actually set it up in you know your environment and get your applications running on it. So yep. um, and yeah, we love to talk to people to see what they're doing and and what they're trying to accomplish.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, um, you know, appreciate the time today. Uh, I know, like I said, from my own personal experience, having worked with you guys, it's it's very fun to see not only how you integrate some of these technologies people are dealing with, but kind of how you walk through people, uh, you know, through the transformation, answer questions, help them see what the new world looks like. So, um, you know, I, I think what you guys do is very, very cool, and I'm excited that you keep coming out with new stuff, and and I uh, appreciate the time today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, and keep up the, the, the podcast. These are a lot of fun okay. to listen to, so you guys are doing a great thing as well.
0: Thank you very much. Well, folks, uh, we're going to wrap that up. Um, if you like the show, as always, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on the Twitter at thecloudcastnet or, of course, on the web at thecloudcast.net. Um, so for TJ and for Aaron, he'll be back next week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a great weekend.
1: Right. Thank you, bro.
0: The show's over.
1: Go back to your regular life. It's far more interesting than the podcast. Maybe.